today's very special crossover episode of the Ringer NFL Show and the Rewatchables is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, we have several sports rewatchables running across the network. On Monday, Bill Simmons had Joe House and Chris Ryan on the Bill Simmons Podcast to take a look back at Game 6 of the 2016 NBA Western Conference Finals between the Golden State Warriors and Oklahoma City Thunder. On Thursday, Michael Bauman and Mallory Rubin discussed Game 6 of the 2011 World Series between the Texas Rangers and the St. Louis Cardinals on the Ringer MLB show feed. And on Friday, tune into the Masked Man show feed to hear David Shoemaker and special guest Zach Linder unpack WrestleMania 30. So be sure to check those out wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Rewatchables. I'm Robert Mays, joined by Kevin Clark. Kevin, this is kind of new. This is very new. It's the first one we've done. I'm very excited about this. We're doing a special section of Sports Rewatchables, a special collection of them. Uh, we went back and watched, in my mind, maybe the most rewatchable football game of the past, I don't know, 10 years or so. But I, only, I say that, and I've never actually seen the TV version of this game, which is kind of strange. Were you in the press box for this particular game? I was not there. I was in Denver for the Colts uh, Broncos AFC championship game. So I didn't watch this game on TV. I watched it afterward, obviously, but I watched the coach's tape in just preparation for the Super Bowl. I just watched the I mean, if you're going to study the game, that's how I studied the game. So I have not seen the TV version of the 2013 NFC championship game between the 49ers and the Seahawks. And that's what we're going to talk about. How was it for you? It was fun to go back and watch it in that way, but I feel like I really missed out. Watching it on TV was fun. I've never seen this version of the game before. Yeah, I was there. I've never seen the TV the TV version of the game because I was in the press box. Um, That's funny. This is the re- we're doing the rewatchables, but neither of us have ever seen it a first time. This is the watchables. It's the watchables. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was one of the most fun, if not the most fun game I've ever covered. Um, Seattle lends itself to that. It's the stadium is in the thick of the city. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember walking to the stadium from my hotel and they just have a vibe. We've talked about this before, but there aren't many cities where the stadium is a part of the community like that. You know, you have like Foxborough, which is not really anywhere. Um, there's a bar Louie near Foxborough, right? Um, that, yes, that's, there is. that's that's what you're kind of, I, I, I enjoy watching games there, but just as far as the area around it, there's just not a lot there. That's pretty typical of most NFL places, Miami, you know, it's kind of in the middle of a parking lot stuff. Seattle it was just a big game atmosphere all day. It was just hard to describe. It was one of the most fun, just from the moment I woke up on that day, the vibe in the city, uh, seeing how that game ended, it was one of the best games I've had the privilege to cover, uh, just just taking it all in. And then you have, the, obviously, the characters and and the yeah. coaches and the quarterbacks and you know every single person looking back on it now is just so monumentally famous, and they weren't necessarily that back then. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but just going back to CenturyLink for one minute. There's the 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 north end of the stadium is wide open. There's that kind yeah. of weird tower, and there's a set of steps that walk up into the open stadium. So there isn't like a section of seats in there. So you you kind of feel like you're walking into this huge gate mm. and, and walking into this place where something really cool is about to happen. And all the times I've ever been there have been for huge games, and it has been pretty darn cool. So I can understand that. But going back to the characters and the people and everybody else, the personalities. That's why we picked this game. I feel like because this game is of a moment in time in the NFL. I mean, this rivalry was 
the NFL for uh, you know three, four years stretch. You have Pete Carroll versus Jim Harbaugh. You have Russell Wilson versus Colin Kaepernick. You have the Legion of Boom versus this 49ers defense that I feel in the last five or six years has become underrated in a Super weird way. Super underrated. Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis. I mean, no one even talks about Patrick Willis anymore. Patrick Willis, I mean, it, maybe the best linebacker of his generation. Justin Smith. Justin Smith was awesome. Al- Alden Smith. Alden Smith, which that was a weird kind of time machine type moment watching this game. But all of those factors, and we'll get into so many of this when we talk about what aged the worst, but it feels like we're so far removed from that time period, even though the Seahawks are still good. So that's why we want to talk about this one, just because, you know, this was the beginning of when I started covering the league. Mm. So just this kind of era is really burned into my mind. This one jumped out to me first and foremost when we were trying to figure out which game we wanted to watch. I would also say just... As far as the makeup of these teams, it, it there's a distance from it. And what I mean by that yep. is that the Niners cycle is over. The Seahawks cycle is basically over when you just I – mean, obviously, Carroll and 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 Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin and those guys are still there. But with Earl Thomas but, leaving. Yeah, yeah, and Earl I Thomas leaving, that, that cycle's over. You know, our other sort of idea here was maybe the Packers and the Seahawks NFC Championship game. The problem is it's like all a lot of those guys were just on the team or coaching the team last sure. year. I mean, it feels like that game could have happened in September of this year. And with this game, there are just so many people that we don't think about enough. There's so many characters. Harbaugh has been at Michigan for, what, four years at this point? It was so strange. We'll talk about this later, but to go back and look at the timeline of it all and to realize this game happened after the 2013 regular season and the next year was his last year for the with the 49ers. Well, that's it's just that, crazy we'll get to, to that consider. when we go. We'll get to that when we get to what age the worst. Yeah, what age the worst and also now, just sliding doors moments. I, I mean, just so many aspects of this game you think I can't believe it was only 5 years ago. I can't believe it. And I mean, but this is how quickly discuss- but this is what we're talking about. This is how quickly the league changes, man. Yeah. This is this is why I'm all for and I don't want to get into this totally, but like I'm for going all in when you can because yeah. when you look at the Niners in this game you would say, oh my God, the Niners are going to be good for the next 10 years. Yep. <laughs> you absolutely would have. It, that is one of just the hardest things to reconcile about going back and watching this. And then, I mean, we haven't even really mentioned just the entire Colin Kaepernick aspect of mm-hmm. this. I mean, this is when he was absolutely one of the biggest stars in the NFL, one of the most electrifying players in the NFL. This is year three of his career, but year two of him being the Niners quarterback. I mean, the end of the 2012 season is when he really took over as just this force in the playoffs. But I mean, even in this moment, there's so many plays in this game where it's like, wow, was he just dynamic? There was a moment in time where this was maybe the most exciting quarterback rivalry in football. All right. Do you just want to get into it? Yeah, let's go. Get into our different categories here. So first and foremost, most rewatchable sequence. I don't think there are that many candidates for this. I'm pretty sure that a sorry receiver like Crabtree, I'm the best corner in the game is number one and just a runaway winner. Is there anything else that's even in the like in the running for this? So the entire fourth quarter is just incredibly rewatchable, especially basically the last, what, seven or eight minutes. You get a touchdown Mm -hmm. from Seattle, then a fumble by San Francisco, a turnover on downs at the one, including a Marshawn Lynch fumble by Seattle. Which, yeah, that's weird to look back on Then a Colin Kaepernick interception, then a Seattle field goal, and then the interception. I mean, it was the the drive to go to the interception, too. Obviously, that that was a great drive. But 
the that that end of game sequence, those drives were absolutely some of the most dramatic drives we've seen in the modern NFL. So I think I think there's kind of three cat like three candidates mm-hmm. that come to mind for me. One, just the last drive by the 49ers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kaepernick makes some great throws. The throw to Frank Gore on fourth down in order to sustain that drive was just wow. I mean, that is a really impressive play by him, which comes one play after Michael Crabtree has alligator arms because he's terrified of Cam Chancellor. I saw that, but then <laughs> yes. he he, re- he did redeem himself. He did. He had a really he had on, a on huge that drive. catch later in the drive. Yep. But I mean, Kaepernick makes some great plays in that drive. Two is just the interception in general. Mm. They replay it from like six different angles. Every single time, it's more impressive than the first time you saw it. I just, wow. I, this, the full extension and him coming back after being a little bit out of position. You yeah, just wonder if position. Kaepernick have put six more inches on that throw. Does it get over his hand? The answer is probably yes. And then three, <laughs> Richard Sherman just going nuts to Aaron Andrews. I f- totally forgot Aaron Andrews saying who was talking about yeah. you. And, well, just and also the they, cut, they cut off the interview. The, yeah. the, the booth or the truck said you we have to go back to the booth because yeah. they just didn't understand where Richard Sherman was going with that. Yeah, I can understand why they would be a little bit worried about it. But that moment <laughs> is just so beautiful going back and rewatching it now. Well, also, and also it was one of those things we've talked about this before, but kind of the gifable games. Sure. In the th- maybe the minute and a half after that, there were just 10 things after the interception that were just unbelievable. Richard Sherman going over to Michael Crabtree to try to shake his hand, which by the way- well, he pats him on the butt first. Yeah, but, but, but by the way, the, the, the sort of end of game handshake is what he did with Tom Brady a year later. Yeah. Um, Wait, no, it was a year before, wasn't it? When he went no, up to Brady I'm in, talking in midfield? About, I'm talking that, about when Bra- after the Malcolm Butler interception. Ah, okay. When at the, at the goal line. Um, gotcha, where, okay. Yeah. And so, so Richard Sherman is just a big time handshake guy. We learned that. Loves handshakes. Uh, he did the choke sign to yes. to yep. to the 49ers, <laughs> the 49ers bench. Uh, uh, Harbaugh looked completely. I don't even know. Despondent's not the word. He looked like he he had just been his soul was sucked out of his body, and he was just reacting to something completely different that wasn't happening in front of him. He may have just temporarily died for five minutes. And then the Pete, way, Pete Carroll was doing just the Pete Carroll swag lord thing. Yeah, Pete Carroll was just owning the moment. It was fantastic to watch. But we talk about gifable moments. And I feel like even though Twitter was around in 2013, it's Twitter culture is very different, especially mm-hmm. as it relates to the NFL right now. We would People would have a lot of fun with Jim Harbaugh. His sideline antics in this game were just on a very Jim Harbaugh level, and I appreciated them well, deeply. Well, I also, I, I don't want to spoil some of these categories here, but yes. I, I would want to point out that... Jim Tom Sula was standing next to him for like half of those reaction shots. We're going to get to him. And so I, I just couldn't believe how funny it was to not only in the moment, I'm like, wow, this Jim Harbaugh thing is hilarious. But now it's the Jim Harbaugh just, you know, freaking out with a pen around his neck and standing next to him is Jim freaking Tom Sula. We will get to Jim Tom Sula. Don't do not worry. The last one I want to say for most rewatchable sequence is the touchdown to curse and everything that transpires yeah. in that two minutes is really weird to go back and watch because, again, we'll discuss this as, as it relates to another category, but you have Stephen Hauschka go out for a 53-yard yep. field goal. He's late to getting out yep. there. So the Seahawks burn their first time out with 13 minutes and 52 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And then Russell Wilson gets Alden Smith to jump off sides for the third time in the game. And throws just a fucking dime to Jermaine Curse down the seam for a touchdown. I mean, 
we're going to, as John Mulaney would say, now we don't have to, time to unpack all of that, but we do. And we're going to in some of these other ones, but just everything that happens over that two minute stretch is like, wow. When you consider the implications of it, yep. but is our winner here? I'm the best corner in the game. You don't try me like a sorry with a sorry receiver like Crabtree. I think it has to be. Yeah, our winner is the end of that. Uh, We're basically talking about the same thing. I'm just elongating how long the the rewatchable sequence is. But yes, we're talking about the tip and everything that led to the tip. All right. What's age the best? My Literally, it's Frank Gore. Oh. (laughs) I mean, Frank Gore, this game was five years ago. And Frank Gore averaged like six yards a carry this year. It was like 4.6. Are we, are we sleeping impressive. on how great Pete Carroll still looks? Because he's aged the best. Wow. That's those are that's another very good recommendation. Pete Carroll hasn't aged a day since this game. So Frank Gore and Pete Carroll have literally aged the best since this game happened. Jim Don Silva looks pretty good still. Hey. Um, the mustache just solves a lot of woes. So Yeah. Frank Gore uh, is just the same guy. I kind of like it. Both of them have aged the best, and that's from an actual like physical aging perspective. May I say that I think one of the things that's aged the best is offensive creativity, because I think you can watch games from this era, certainly, and see a game that doesn't resemble anything that happens now in the NFL. Yeah. And even though it was the running game, um, even though the running game was was hugely dominant and, and and you know, in the first quarter they were talking about, you know, how amazing these run games are and stuff like that. that that's not really a discussion that happens anymore in 2018 or 2019. But you look at some of the situations they put their quarterbacks in and they were just, you could see the wheels turning on the modern NFL. Um, you could see some of the um, you know, the boots, some of the, obviously the read option stuff, the spread stuff. I, you, you could see where the game was going when you watch this and that aged really well, especially in comparison to a lot of the games you can watch from 2013, 2012. You're like, wow, this is just eye formation bull crap. That's, that's fair. I also think some of the schematic stuff didn't age very well though. Well, I mean, I mean you have so, so many, yeah, that's what I mean. A no, lot but the of read option is still in, the read option is still in the game. It just isn't the dominant force it was. Sure, I but think I mean, that how many teams do you see using the pistol regularly in a 2018 regular season NFL game? Not many. They should. They should. Um, they probably should more than they do. But it's, I, I it hasn't. It, it's kind of gone out of vogue. I think that it's it's sort of the the ground floor of building an offense around your quarterback, and I think that's one of the defining traits of this decade. So I think that it's not necessarily about okay, this play is now used everywhere it's more about these guys had these players and they crushed it designing an offense around them i'm with you on that but i think in, in on defense it's funny because all that cover three stuff that they ran that was the basis of a lot of schematic stuff and teams started building their defense that way you don't see that much cover three just no. outside the numbers press man coverage essentially on the outside that you used to back then i mean they ran it so often in this game and in this era and I mean, that really has gone away. I mean, you see so many more teams playing more cover one, even the Seahawks kind yeah, of transitioned to that. So that was interesting to see. My what's aged the best, though, is just the Doug, or, uh, Russell Wilson to Doug Baldwin connection. <laughs> I mean, that is just straight from a 2018 regular season game. And this is really one of the first times that Doug Baldwin kind of emerges is in this stretch of his career. He's still returning kicks at this point. Yep. And, and so it was very kind of, all right, you watch that. It's like, well, those two dudes are just really good together. I mean, Wilson had that run around, chuck it downfield. The ball went early in the game. It's like, all right, I've seen that many times. Uh, and the other one is Vic Fangio is just a scheme lord. I mean, he was yeah, incredible I, I was in this game let, as he I has was been for so let long. You bring that up. I mean, we'll we'll get into some more Vic Fangio stuff. But you watch this game again, and again, I think that when you you look back at this era and the way we remember it, 
everyone's like, oh, Legion of Boom, Legion of Boom. The Seahawks defense was the defining unit from this kind of three or four year stretch. <laughs> 49ers were awesome, man. They were so, so good. And Fangio was just on fire in this game, dialing up blitzes. And you know, Russell Wilson did absolutely nothing through the air for a huge chunk of this when he wasn't running around doing it himself. Can we get to what age the worst? Because I have, we, we certainly I, I can. have some takes. Okay. First of all, the 49ers franchise. This is their last playoff appearance. <laughs> That's a harsh one, but yeah. This is their last playoff appearance, dude. If yeah. you're watching this game, and this is kind of what I was talking about with the rivalry stuff. If you were watching this game for two and a half quarters and someone came down from space and was like, hey, dude, this is their last playoff appearance. And you'll be talking about this in 2019. First of all, if you were like, if they were like, you're going to be working at the ring, I'd have some follow-up questions because that didn't, <laughs> that didn't exist. That didn't exist. Yeah. Um, but I think that you start to think about this. It is almost inconceivable, the steps that they made. You know, getting rid of Harbaugh, obviously bringing in Tom Sula, bringing in, letting Trent Baalke win the power struggle, um, letting uh, Chip Kelly kind of go half speed for one season before firing him. I think they're in a good spot now with Kyle Shanahan. I think they'll be fine. But I cannot believe in watching this game that this is the last time they made the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, especially when you just look. I mean, they outplayed Seattle in so many ways in this game. I mean, it was, if you look at those two teams playing against each other, they're interchangeable in terms of which is the most promising franchise in the NFL and the different directions, kind of the splintering that happened after this game. It's inconceivable. And I will, I want to talk a little bit more about that when we get to unanswerable questions, because I think there's so many of them as it relates to what happens with the Niners in the next calendar year after this game happens. Mine is related to that. It's more or less that Niners Seahawks has the NFL's best rivalry. I mean, just it was solidified. That was the yeah. NFL rivalry that, at, at that point. And now it's do you give a shit about a Niners Seahawks game? No one cares. No. But that always happened. I mean, think about Sure. I mean, think about Patriots Broncos, which mm-hmm. a couple of years later, you know, was or at the, this time as well, you know, was the Sunday night gotta see a game. I mean, that just happens. One or two guys can determine whether or not a rivalry goes or, or falls. Ravens Ravens uh, Steelers is like that. Bengals Steelers, Bengals Ravens. Mm-hmm. I mean, those 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 rivalries have been hot over the past decade. I think it's sort of a moving target as far as that goes. Yeah, but like Ravens Steelers is still a fun game. That game still no, matters. No, I, 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 mean, I know because the, both those teams are still pretty good. Yes. Uh, Alden Smith as a thing. Yeah. Aged pretty poorly. I mean, he has two sacks in this game pretty early. Has all the offsides, but I mean, you watch that guy in this moment. It's like, all right, that's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. That goes away very fast. Uh, Uh, The other one I had was, oh, go ahead. I have uh, the Seahawks front office when it comes to building a line because he gets then crap knocked out of him in this game. And they've still not figured out how to not have Russell Wilson get the crap knocked out of him. So he gets the crap knocked out of him in this game. I'm not putting that on the offensive line. Their offensive <laughs> line at this point is actually okay. He was doing a lot of scrambling. No, I'm just, just, I'm, he's I'm running around. just making fun of the, the current Seahawks. He's running around so much. Yeah. I mean, this is the peak of, I don't know if it's the peak because it happens like a little bit a couple years later because they need yeah. him to. But him just kind of turning his back to the defense and running in a circle for 10 seconds and then chucking the ball down the field. This is a very prominent time for Russell Wilson doing that in this game. Uh, the other one is that there's a moment in the broadcast that Joe Buck is talking about how Russell Wilson didn't have enough good receivers this season mm. because Sidney Rice got hurt and Percy Harvin had a concussion. The Seahawks receiving core at this moment is Doug Baldwin, Golden Tate, and Jermaine Curse. Amazing. The idea that that's not enough has not aged very well. well I have a receiving take as well about the broadcast. 
Did you catch where Joe Buck says that uh, Jim Harbaugh had said earlier in the week or earlier in the month that Michael Crabtree was the greatest catcher of <laughs> yes. all time? Yes, I did. I do. I was going to that is that a up. take That's that a really almost within like an hour. Was first of all, I mean, obviously within the context of the game, that that did not end up being true. But also, just when you think about all the receivers who exploded in this era, just shortly after, it's just DeAndre Hopkins hel- exists. It's just a hilarious, hilarious take. Like Mike, I, I would say Michael Crabtree's career aged really badly after this because obviously he had the Achilles shortly thereafter, and and he was just sort of done after that. Yeah, I mean, Michael Crabtree, um, you, are, you can argue he has better hands than Anquan Bolden, but Michael Crabtree wasn't the best receiver on the 49ers. He was not, certainly not the best catcher of the ball ever. <laughs> what are we doing? All right, half-assed internet research. Uh, I just want to throw this one out. I, I loved it. At this moment, when this game, uh, when this, this, these playoffs start, the 2013 playoffs begin, Frank Gore had 2,187 carries at the end of the regular season. At that moment... Only 30 other players ever had ever done that. That was five years ago. <laughs> He's still playing. He's still playing right now. And he actually looked pretty damn good this year. That is nuts to me. So I didn't remember this. Maybe I just was just busy or whatever. How many there were like viral videos about how bad the refs were. Did you look into this at all? No, like there were essentially and I, I, I everybody wrote about it at the time. So essentially what Niners fans think is that the refs were incompetent, which, you know, who knows? Oh, just the, might be that's the, true. the abuse going on outside the numbers on every yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize how how upset Niners fans were about this. Because I, I kind of think that everyone rightly put their attention towards the tip. And, you know, they obviously had a, had a chance to win mm-hmm. that game. So I was really surprised. I would also say that the... Um, America's team about this Seahawks team was full of Richard Sherman making fun of Kaepernick for this game uh, about just throwing another fade to Crabtree. The quote was, once again, at the end of the game, trying to throw a fade to Crabtree. It's like two years in a row, your season ends the same way. You think you would learn. Wow. Richard Sherman was really feeling himself at this moment, which again, we'll get to. It's true. If you if you if you lost the Super Bowl and a fade to Crabtree and there's 22 seconds left in the game, I'm not sure I'm going fade to Crabtree again. Uh, staying on that moment, Aaron Andrews loved the Richard Sherman moment. She was talking about it later. She was, yeah. she was very into the idea that it was a real reaction from someone in a huge moment. So uh, she was, I think that people were wondering, you know, is that something where you want that to happen? And she was vehemently said yes. I don't think that enough of America knew who Richard Sherman was at that moment and it caught a lot of people off guard. I think that obviously you and I, I mean, he was one of the top cornerbacks in football, but I don't think he was like everyone in America knew who he was famous. And this was a launching point for him. He is, after this moment, he is just remarkably famous. And I think that it's it's one of the funniest and most fun NFL moments of the decade. So let's do this now then, because I think this ties in well. Apex Mountain. Oh. Yes for Richard Sherman, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I, I think for him, this is the most famous he ever would have been was at this moment. This is the best he ever was as a player was probably the 2013 season. And this is just the epitome of his career. I mean, this is the high point of who he was, which is literally what Apex Mountain is. Okay. I don't know if it is for anybody else, though. Uh, I have some candidates. Okay. The NFL running game. Sure. 
and the Seattle crowd. Well, the NFL running game in the modern era. Yeah. The oh, NFL no, no, right. I, I obviously like, you know, they're like they're not been, Earl Campbell days. Yeah, they've yeah. been died just in the, this century, maybe. And then it was the I would last, say since 2007. It was the last the Patriots season. It was the last hurrah for the running game. Yeah. And then, the Apex Mountain since the Patriots redefined football, I think, the, the, for the running game. The Seattle crowd. Yep. That's a really good one. This was definitely the peak of the of the 12th man for sure. And then Alden Smith as well, I would say. Uh, see, I wouldn't. I think he was better earlier. Okay. That like 2011, 2012 stretch. I was going to say him. It's definitely not for Kaepernick. I feel like he was no. better in 2012. Well, it's against the Packers. That was Apex. Yeah, that was at that game. On a football level, obviously. I mean, on a different level, his Apex came much, much later in a cultural relevance level. But on a football level, I think it was definitely against the Packers the previous season. Yeah. Anybody else that's even in the conversation? Because for the Seahawks, you, it can't be for anybody else because for the Legion of Boom, it was the next week against Denver huh. or the next game against Denver. For Carroll, it's not. Um, and I, I, other guys on that defense had bigger moments. So I, I, it's just Sherman and nobody else as it relates to like players in the Seahawks. It was Apex Mountain for the broadcasters using the phrase new age quarterback. Because <laughs> we kind of got away from that after maybe this era. We were just like, eh, he's a good quarterback. And now, but that time I was like, Shh, talk about a new age quarterback. I think Joe Buck said that 11 times. All right. Greatest what if sliding doors moment. Ooh. It all for me is at, the, at that drive before Curse throws or catches the touchdown. I think there's several moments in there that you can say. One, there's a running into the yes, kicker. Yes, that's it. That's mine. So it, that one is huge. Troy so Aikman Andy, kept pointing that out a lot. It, it was a huge moment, rightfully so. Troy Aikman was not great in this game, but oh. that definitely was big. We'll get to that. Uh, so Chris Maragos hits Andy Lee at 2.59 left in the third quarter, and he hits the plant leg, which is roughing, in, it's roughing the kicker. That should be a 15-yard penalty. It was fourth and 10. That would give the 49ers a first down. They're up in, at this moment. They're winning the game by what? What's the score at that moment? Uh, it's 17-13. 17-13 49ers. So you get the ball there. It's a 15-yard penalty. You would have gotten it at your 35. Mm -hmm. So who the hell knows? At the very least, you tick off three or four more minutes while you're winning the game. So the Seahawks get the ball. They go down. And we already talked about this sequence. They send... Stephen Hauschka out for a 53-yard field goal. He's late to get out there. Carroll calls timeout. They decide not to do it. And then Alden Smith jumps off sides. Wilson uncorks that throw, and we have a ball game. Yeah, I mean, the 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 running and slash roughing the kicker is a huge sliding doors moment in this game. Everything we don't, that is what sets off the chain reaction, the touchdown, yep. fumble, turnover, run downs, intercepted pass, field goal, intercepted pass, drive sequence. Um, without that, everything changes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, because so much of the attention is in, on on the, um, on that fourth quarter sequence, I, I would have to give it to that. I don't really think there's anything else. I mean, there's with the exception more. of the, with the exception, obviously, of, uh, if, if this wouldn't happen without that, but the Hashka field goal before the curse thing. Yes. And the, the one more that you could make a worse case for, um, there was a third and one with 1038 left and Kaepernick gets called for delay a game. And it goes from third and one to third and six. And that next play, the third and six is when Averill sacks him and Bennett picks it up and runs it to like the 10 yard line. Yeah. So that's another big one. I mean, if you get that first down, you maintain possession, everything else. Hey, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Marshawn Lynch's fumble with the fumbled handoff with Russell Wilson at the one. 
Do we think that had anything to do with? Ooh, do we I think like it had anything to do with a certain play a little bit later in which they did not run the ball from the one yard line? Because I was I like watching that, and I was like, "Wow!" I mean, you, everyone talks about how Marshawn is is automatic at the one, and, and and in usually he is, but that was a botched handoff, and it almost cost them the game. I think that's. I think you're seeing it through the lens of what happened a year later. I don't think that's fair. You think? What do you mean? They were. You they were, think twelve months later, as Pete Carroll was making that decision, or as whoever's making that decision that, that ended up having the final call. Yeah. You think that's in their mind? The fact that they were almost were able to win the game, but they didn't. They moment? didn't lose. They no, won the Super Bowl. I'm just. Bowl. I'm just. I'm. Th- I'm asking questions. If they lost, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, if they lost that game, then they I were up they, twenty to seventeen. They were up twenty to seventeen on the one yard line. That would have sealed the game. With eight I, minutes I, to go. I understand where you're coming 10 from. I, I like just where you're saying, going with this, but I'm, I'm not saying sure. I'm that, saying that, that teams have long memories. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying it's a possibility. The Seahawks have very long memories, unfortunately. It's a possibility. Deion Waiters Award for Best Heat Check. The actual answer to this is Richard Sherman. Yes. Because he doesn't do anything else in this game, no. but I feel like that's it's too easy. We're t- we've talked about him too much. The other candidate I have is Cam Chancellor, who... Over the course of the first three and a half quarters comes up twice and it's by destroying Vernon Davis coming across the middle. I really, this game was a reminder of how much I love and miss Cam Chancellor because that play is 100% clean. It didn't age poorly because it would have been legal today even. I mean, he just eviscerated Vernon Davis, who was a very large man. And that's, he did the hammer thing after. It made me miss him so much. And then like two drives later, he picks off Colin Kaepernick. Those are his two plays in this game. Well, I, one of the one of the underrated heat checks in this game was the 49ers staffer who destroyed Jeremy Lane on the sideline. <laughs> that, that, what a it's heat a check really performance from that guy. It's a really good one. It was. It, we're in a post Sal Alosi world. Jeremy Lane <laughs> is running through the sideline, and I'm just going to be the guy who just knocks Jeremy Lane on his ass. I think it was a player. I think it was an injured player. No, it was. But he was in sweats. He was in sweats, yes, yeah. but it was yeah, it was definitely not somebody in actual no, uniform. No, it wasn't. But, it wasn't Jim Tomsula. Uh, it was great. No, it was a, it was a player in sweats. I'm going to give it to Chancellor because Richard Sherman has won too much stuff or, and is going to win too much stuff. All right, I think is this call? Do we need to call this the Richard Sherman game? Yeah, this is the yeah. Richard Sherman. If you said game, the Richard th- Sherman game, we'd be talking about this game, right, Kevin? That's a, that's an actual segment that we're getting to later. Oh, okay, you're, you're getting ahead of yourself here. Uh, so yeah, th- that, those are for me. And then, you know, this is, this, this transitions well. If you ask Joe Buck, I think he would have thrown Kasim Osgood's name in there. Love Joe Kasim Buck mentioned Osgood. how good Kasim Osgood was at yeah, coverage like dude, four times in this I, game. I've been around coaches and especially I've been around coaches who've coached Kasim Osgood. He's one of these guys that does so much in special teams and no one ever talks about him that coaches just constantly talk That's about exactly him. That's exactly right. I He's like a poor a, man's Matthew Slater. I remember being at a, at a um, Kim Cameron press conference when I was in college and he was talking about how good Kasim Osgood was uh, in San Diego. And it was just like, you get around coaches and they can't stop talking about it and then you're Joe Buck and you're in a production meeting and you probably heard, I mean, who was who was the, uh, was it Brad Seeley? Who was the the special teams coach for the... Oh, if, it were, if it were Brad Seeley, he definitely would have been talking about it. Yeah, I don't remember who so, it was back then, but whoever it was probably mentioned Kasim Osgood like a hundred times and then he just, it got in his brain. I, I Yep, that's that 100% how that happens. That, I, coaches yep. overpraise special teams coaches like nothing you've ever seen. They underpraise... Gun, they love gunners. Underpraise quarterbacks overpraise special teams gunners. 
aces. So while we're on the topic of Joe Buck, let's get to the Tim McCarver Memorial Broadcast Team Complaint Corner. <laughs> mine is all related to Troy Aikman. Oh, mine this is game, not. Oh, see, this game was it was a reminder to me that sometimes Troy Aikman is like a Hall of Presidents color analyst. Like okay. he just powers down before the game. And then when the game starts, he powers back up and he doesn't, he can't react to things. It's all like pre-programmed stuff. When Wilson throws that touchdown to curse, Troy is just nowhere to be found. He does not mention why it was a good throw or why the decision was made. And again, we're viewing all of this in a post Tony Romo world. And my expectations are just so much higher, but Troy just does nothing to add to this game in any way, shape or form. Okay, I, I'm going off the board here. I want to complain and nitpick about something Pam Oliver said. And Ooh, okay. may, maybe you heard this. In the fourth quarter, Pam Oliver gives a sideline report. And she says, I'm still waiting for the noise. It's not terribly loud. That's right. You can still hear the person next to you. I want to unpack right. this for a second. First of all, there have been... I don't know. Have you ever been in a, a football stadium? I've been in an arena. Have you ever been in a football stadium where you could not hear the person next to you? Yes. In this one. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is it's like, if if it is, it's in Seattle. But what I'm also saying is just by the design of a football stadium, it's that sort of deafening noise. It can happen in a building, like a small college arena. Or like the old Orlando arena was like that, where it, where it was like a very small arena. So maybe you could not hear the person next to you. I think. What's the loudest football game you've ever been to in the NFL? Is it the it's NFC this one? Game it's this, this year? one. Oh, it's this one. Okay. Yeah, but you weren't one, outside dude. for that. You, the press box is inside in Seattle. Yeah, no, I'm just talking about like I was. Wa- I I walk around the concourse, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I wasn't outside for the tip. Um, I would say this. This the first two quarters, first two and a half quarters of the NFC Chip game this year were were really freaking loud. But again, that it's was indoors. To, that was indoors. It's, yes. Noise is, is, you're legislating noise when it's indoors. I, I totally, I'm with you. I, I'm totally with you. But I think this stadium is at times the exception. No, I, and it was then. I was yeah. there. I don't, it was a very strange sideline report. But then here's, here's the hammer on this, okay? So shortly thereafter, Colin Kaepernick fumbles, Okay. And Joe and Troy have to go out of their way to praise the crowd because Pam just dunked on the crowd. <laughs> and so uh, Joe says, I think the 12th man had a lot to do with that. It was like a minute after this particular sideline report. You know what producers like? We, we have to correct this. Yeah, we, we have to make up was, for this somehow. It was in just Joe's a ear. very strange sideline report is all. When the touchdown that Marshawn Lynch scored, very rarely can you tell on TV how loud it gets in a building. The roar when he breaks up into the open field, I was like, oh my God, that place is rocking. I mean, that's, and on TV, it's, it doesn't always translate, but it absolutely did during this game. So yeah, <laughs> Pam is off base here. I just thought it was a bizarre, like no one, I don't know. It was, I, I don't know if she thought it would be louder. I mean, obviously she'd been done. She, she's a, she's a legend. She's done tons of Seattle games. Yeah, I, I was, that was surprising when I, when I heard that, I was like, that's weird. I guarantee you that's not true. All right. <laughs> Let's get to funniest in-game network promo. Not a ton of great options here. I was very disappointed. I, I, I completely forgot that there was a sequel to 300 called 300 I, how, Rise. I must have missed this somehow. 300 Rise of an Empire. I missed this. That's disappointing. Were you? How were you watching it? I was watching it on YouTube. Yeah. On, when, and I, I guess I just looked away when that was happening. Were you missed? And did you know there was a 300 sequel until just now? Uh, no, you you just you just dropped that on me, which I appreciate. Yeah, the I mean everything uh, kind of. I mean there was a Chambers Bay 
promo, which was still yep. two years away, that kind of made me chuckle because Chambers Bay is is not a well thought of course. Um, so there was that that UFC promo. I yeah, don't know much ben, well, about UFC. No, it, was, it was Benson Henderson uh, okay. headlining I was a ask card. You. It's 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 fine. It does it didn't age. It didn't. He was number one contender at that point. It didn't age in a funny way. At Joe Buck saying it's fantasy football for real when discussing the first ever Pro Bowl draft. I thought that was kind of funny, but not funny enough. I needed something better than that. Get hyped for halftime with Bruno Mars or Hot Chili Peppers wasn't bad. <laughs> nope, that was that was pretty good. That wasn't bad, but it wasn't. It, it, one of the things about football, and specifically with with January, is that with the games in January, which, which is what we talk about, is they don't really launch. Like they have American Idol and stuff like that, but like October is really funny because when they're launching like they're really crappy shows. That's why Fox. That's why the the World Series. Have you seen the supercut of the World Series shows thing? No, but I'm sure it's amazing. I highly recommend it. It's just 20 years of Joe Buck introducing shows that you've just never heard of <laughs> to the point you think it might be fake. We we got no good ones. There wasn't. I was. I mean. Finding out there was a 300 sequel is quite nice. That's pretty good, but it's not a network promo, which is is sad. All right. Hottest retroactive take you wish you had in the moments. I'm going, this is very on brand for me. I'm going with Vic Fangio was the real mastermind behind oh! the Niners greatness. Well, that's a, that's a homer take. But it's true. I mean, Vic what Fangio was absolutely the most important piece of that 49ers equation. You know, they lost this game. I understand that, but it wasn't because the defense was Carlos bad. Carlos Rogers got owned. Hey, I have one. I the the one thing I wish I had in the moment that turned out to be true, and I didn't. I don't even think I thought this, let alone thought it publicly. This was the Super Bowl. I mean, we, so we, we learned this two weeks later, but these teams were so good that I think that both of them would have beaten the Broncos. So save that because I we I want to talk about that later. Okay. All right. Best unintentional comedy moment. I mean, it's easily Jim Tom Sula. It's just definitely out of the Jim Tom Sula. It is <laughs> definitely Jim Tom Sula. So, did you note what Troy Aikman said about Jim Tom Sula when he came onto the screen? Uh, I don't think I, I caught that. So, let me. <laughs> so, the only reason they're talking about Jim Tom Sula, it's at the 405 mark in the first quarter. Okay. And you got really, really good notes here. So I'm taking my notes here. So he's talking to Carlos Rogers, which makes no sense because he's the oh, defensive coordinator. They're just visiting. So, so Troy says, Jim will talk to anybody if you, if you walk in his area and he'll entertain you too. That is Troy's note about Jim Tom Sula in that moment, which it does not get any better than that. I need to tell a story. I was in Richmond for, for Redskins training camp this year. And I just, there's this guy biking and he just yells, hey, how you doing? And uh, I'm getting into my car and it's just on the street, not maybe a block away from, from Red Sands training camp. It's just Jim Tom Sula just biking around Richmond. He had a good year. A defensive line was good. But He's everything a good that, defensive line coach, dude. Sure, sure. That's, that, that's what he is. He is a good defensive line coach. I also, honorable mention for just Jim Harbaugh's sideline antics in general. I mean, there's so much stuff going on when he's talking about the plant leg. He's like jumping on one leg when he's trying, trying to get an intentional grounding. He's just like bouncing up and down, like slamming the ground. It's like, oh man, Jim Harbaugh. I just, I miss you in the NFL world. I think we're talking about different things here. Cause my, my thing is Jim Tom Sula being next to Jim Harbaugh is Jim Harbaugh has these animated meltdowns because oh, yeah, I, that's think, really I funny. think they're combining you're stacking comedy at that point. I totally. And fair. you're also, and you're also just like, 
in hindsight, it's so funny that Jim Tomsul was in this. And we didn't realize how funny it was at the time. There's no reason. There's no way we could have. There's no way to, there would have been no way to predict what happened in the There's next, no like, way to predict months. that they would have, at that moment, would have fired Jim Harbaugh and hired the guy that Troy Aikman is saying will talk to anybody. And he will talk to anybody. He talked to that interviewer when they did that segment on him yeah. after getting the head coaching job, and everyone immediately realized how badly the 49ers screwed up. Oh, oh goodness gracious. All right. So let's kind of stay on that subject because probably unanswerable questions. All of mine have to do with the 49ers and what transpired shortly after this game. Okay. So first one, would the 49ers have beaten the Broncos in the Super Bowl? Your answer is yes. My answer is yes. Okay. So that's an answerable question to you. If that happens, what goes down? If the 49ers win the Super Bowl, Jim Harbaugh definitely doesn't lose a power struggle to Trent Baalke. Right. And I, what I also say is that kind of winning is the ultimate, ultimate sort of deodorant kind of thing. I mm-hmm. think that they, they at least are able to stick it out and have a good relationship for a couple of more years. We've seen relationships fall apart after Super Bowl wins. I mean, Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones had that. I mean, it's not like that would cure everything. They wouldn't have a 15-year run. But I think there'd be at least a two- or three-year grace period. I, mean, I I also don't know. Jim Harbaugh got to a Super Bowl, got to this game, okay? And I remember talking to him afterwards. And I'm, when, I'm, when I say afterwards, I mean like March. And he was comparing it to Sisyphus. And he was just saying, I feel like we're just rolling up the boulder and then coming back down. And I wonder, you know, it wasn't long after that Alex Boone gave the interview to Real Sports where he was talking about how Jim Harbaugh just has a terrible personality for, you know, to be around for a number of years. I wonder if Jim Harbaugh just has knowing what we know now. Um, I wonder how, what the, what the upper limit of Jim Harbaugh's 49 or tenure could have been had he won the Super Bowl. Would it have been eight years? Is he still the coach? I don't think he'd still be the coach, but I think he would have been the coach. I agree. I think he would have cycled much out longer like than two he was. years ago. Sure. Let's do that way. So if that is true and Colin, Ka- Colin Kaepernick wins the Super Bowl oh. in that season, what happens to Colin Kaepernick? I mean, there's no way that his career goes the way that it goes if he wins the Super Bowl two weeks after this game happens. Right. No, I... I he gets the same benefit of the doubt that Jim Harbaugh does. No argument here. Um, he he gets, you know, he, he obviously gets the same extension that he got. He got a six-year, $126 million contract a couple of months after this, but it was sort of a pay-as-you-go, oddly structured contract. Um, he doesn't have to deal with Jim Tomsula being his head coach. Yep. He doesn't have to deal with uh, Chip Kelly. Um, even though I, I think Chip Kelly did an okay job with him. Um, but I just, everything changes for him. I mean, I think that he has stability. Does, you know, I would wonder if maybe Greg Roman gets a, gets a head coaching job at some point, but I think overall, you know, he'd have Jim Harbaugh. He'd have that offensive staff together. I think he'd be, I think that things go very differently if he wins this game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's impossible to predict, obviously. That's why they're unanswerable questions. But, I mean, he gets so much more leeway. It, even as things start to go poorly, you, he's a guy that just won a Super Bowl for you two years ago. There's just no way his fate is the, what it ended up being. Uh, another thing that aged very well, Greg Roman as the offensive coordinator you'd want for your running quarterback, considering he just got hired by the Ravens in order to, to play for Lamar Jackson. I, I'm withholding a comment, but yes, I get it. 
All right, so what are you saving Greg Roman for? Uh, the Grady Little Award, which is the biggest coaching screw up. I wonder who named. Ooh. I wonder who named the, the I, Grady I Little wonder, Award. I wonder who sent this along as an extra category after we'd already talked could about be, the ones we were going to do. Could be anybody. Um, <laughs> who knows? It it is Greg Roman because again, I, I want to revisit this. If you screw up a fade to Michael Crabtree in the Super Bowl. My advice when there's 22 seconds left is to not throw a fade to Michael Crabtree. Please stop. No more fades. We're done with fades. This is a tough one for me because for the most part, the decisions in this game weren't bad. No. Especially for some very conservative teams. Like historically, I mean, these are running teams, but there are a lot of correct fourth down decisions, which aged very well. And I, mean, I was watching them like a hawk. The announcers liked the fourth down decisions. Ooh. Because if they didn't, they were going to go straight to Tim McCarver complaint corner. <laughs> <laughs> I, you could say that. I mean, I think that those throws and those choices are probably the right answer. I mean, for the most part, I think that the Seahawks did fine. I mean, it's, I, you could just give it. I have another thing I want to bring up. The okay. lack of urgency on the final drive was very strange to me. See, I don't mind it. Joe Buck brought it up, but they had three timeouts and that play was run before the two-minute warning twice. They had 22 seconds left. I feel like they could have had a lot more time to work with. That's fair. I, I went, In the moment, I thought the same it's thing. It's not like they were on the six-yard line with 22, with 22 seconds to go. They had two timeouts left. They, for, were the right? eight, they were the 18 with 22 seconds to go. And two timeouts. Yeah. That's a lot of time. But I'm, if you get down to the nine or eight or seven, you're not going to have time to run four plays from there. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying you're not maximizing the drive. The yeah, ability. That's probably, it's probably just not you, the, enough. The, the, the thing you're trying to avoid in that spot is running up against the clock. You want to be able to run as many plays as you can get to get into the end zone. So the one that really hurts in this sequence is it's first and 10 from, the 40, from their own 47. Kaepernick ran. And then 26 seconds ticked off the clock. Yeah, there you go, bud. That one's bad. Oh, not no. This is the really bad one. I'm sorry. 44 seconds tick off after he completes the pass to Anquan Bolden before they throw to Michael. No urgency. That one's bad. That's the bad one. That's that's probably the one where you can ding that a little bit. So I'll give mine to Harbaugh then for not understanding how to deal with that stretch. Somebody gets it. All right. I think we already answered this, but who won the game? It's Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman. Yeah, absolutely. Who else would it possibly be? It's the Richard Sherman game, so he had to have won it. I have a test. I usually I did a lot, a little more at the Wall Street Journal because I wrote less stories. But I used to ask my mom who she'd heard of because if sure if if she'd heard of them, then they reached a, a threshold where I could write about them and sort of write. Anything other than, hey, this person exists, right? So we were being at home that spring uh, for a week or something, and I was like, you know who Tom Brady is? Yeah, you know who Aaron Rodgers is? Yeah. And so she names like six people. I think Eli and Peyton were, were on there, and Romo was probably on there. And then she said Richard Sherman. And I was like, what, what do you know Richard Sherman from? This is, a, this is a mild surprise. And she said, I saw the clip. I remember the clip. And, and now I know who Richard Sherman is. And so he reached a, a threshold of fame from this game that I don't, think, I don't think many players have gotten to in the last decade. What was it like watching this game, watching Russell Wilson in this game, knowing what you know now? I, I sort of have, on this podcast, compared him to, to Dave Grohl a little bit, where he was, I thought that he was mm-hmm. a cog, <clears throat> a, co- a very, very good cog in a machine, and then he had to become a focal point when when a lot of other people around him went away. And 
I now I still think he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I just view him. I've, I I see more talent than I did back then. Even though I love Russell Wilson back then, I think he, it was really hard to separate the quarterback from the talent around him. Um, and and now knowing what I know about how good Russell Wilson is, I'm like, damn, that's an amazing play. Instead of like, I I don't know. I'm, instead of saying, you know, good for Russell Wilson. Good job. There aren't that many plays in this game where you look at it and you can understand how good Russell Wilson was going to become. I mean, he has some re- shovel passes. I'm, I'm yes. sorry. I'm talking about, when I say shovel passes, I mean like he's scrambling around for like 30 seconds. Yes. And that's what I'm saying is there weren't that many plays in this game that pointed to just how good Russell Wilson could be for the reasons that he was that ended up being good. If that makes sense, right? No, no doubt. So just plays within structure and being able to just uncork deep balls with not having to run around. It wasn't, you know, 10 seconds after the snap happens that your main curse throw points to that, but there aren't that many of those in this game. So it was interesting to me to walk, go back and watch. It's like, clearly he's so talented and that throw points to a lot, but he's a much different quarterback now than he was then. I got to be honest with you. I, the, at the time of the tip, I remember being in the press box because I didn't understand how amazing of a play that was. I remember being in the press box and being slightly disappointed because I felt robbed of a, of them being a little closer because 18 yards out with 22 seconds is not sort of the, it's not such a 50, 50 proposition that, you know, you, you can get really amped for it. I think like the four or five yard line was what I was hoping for as far as a dramatic finish. And we didn't get that. And so when the interception happened, everybody been like, Oh, that's the ending we get. And I didn't realize a, how iconic everything would become, how good that play was at first glance, because you couldn't really see it from the angle I was at. You, you just saw, you just, it looked like a very easy tip. Um, when I was watching it and, yeah. and, and obviously did not try to be the case. And also the tip, I, I don't know how to describe this. It felt live, like it hung in the air for like 10 seconds. Yeah. And Malcolm Smith looked completely alone in the end zone. And so as soon as they tipped the pass, it was completely obvious to everybody in the stadium, including myself, that it was going to be intercepted. And so at first glance, it seemed like there wasn't much of a climax. So for me, it's I, I have the opposite thought yeah. because the first like 10 times I saw were all in slow motion. Yeah. So that's what made it feel like it was in the air for so long. And then watching the play from the, at the TV angle, maybe for the first time ever, I was like, oh man, that happened so quick. It just, it happened so instantly. It felt so different than the first time I'd had to process it. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt about the whole thing. It was like, I, I can't believe I've never seen this version of the game. It lives up to every single bit of the hype. I have to. I I didn't know if I was going to say this, but I'm just going to say it. Um, I was in the bathroom for the Jermaine Curse touchdown. Wow! Because it was a it was a fourth down. I was just like, I'm going to go get a coffee, and I don't need to see this punt. So I missed it. I can understand that. I've made similar choices in the past. It was, I'm not going to blame you. It was a tough look. You know, we're all about honesty and transparency here. So that's it. I'm telling you and the listener that that happened. All right. Is that all we got, buddy? I mean, how, how else can you end it? I'm not sure there's any other way. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this very special edition of the rewatchables. Please check out all of the sports rewatchables that we're going to do. There's a bunch of them. Every single one of them is going to be fun as hell. I can promise you that. And uh, please come back and check out the ringer NFL show later this week. Hell yeah.